0: Hey everybody, welcome back to The Collective. have another fantastic show planned out here for you today. I am very excited to you. Clint, new face, great to have you on here. Really excited to talk to you. I'm
1: setting the curve. I'm setting the curve on faces.
0: That's it. There you go. And um, while he's setting the curve, everybody else should be setting something like the like button, the subscribe chat, hit the subscribe, hit the notification bell, doing all that great stuff. Now, um, as a quick heads up, none of us are doctors. I say this every time now, but, uh, just to clear it up, anything we do say is our own personal experience and, uh, anecdotal evidence from stuff. So if you hear something that, you know, you want to learn more about, do your own research, look it up, do that kind of stuff, or ask us a question, throw it in the comments here. We'll put it up on screen. We'll discuss it and we'll go from there. Um, like this one right here, Chris K happy Friday and red Chimo Chimo Chris. Um, the So, that's what we're going to get into, but before we get started in the conversation, Clint, why don't you give us a quick 30-second, 45-second uh, blurb on who you are, where you come from, all that good stuff. Giver. Is he frozen? He might be frozen. <laughs> this that's is how back. we start a podcast right here. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Can you hear you? Yeah. Well, yeah was, uh... There we go. You were frozen for a second, but that's carry true. on. Oh, this should be a fun one. This is gonna be a fun one. <laughs> uh, Clint, are you there? We're good. We're jumping. You're jumping in and out. This is uh, uh it, this is fun part of my, alive, life. Is the, my, my issue. There we go. Oh, and all right. We well, you know what. I'm gonna
2: bring him back in in a second once that gets cleared up. Sounds good, buddy. So, so let's while talk. I bring him back on, why Why don't uh, Why don't I just uh, relay what I was chirping about in my live potty so that uh, it gives a little bit of backstory to maybe we yep. can log into that with, with him. And so what I was saying, I, I didn't know who the guest was. I didn't know the guest was Clint. I also didn't know what the topic was going to be. So in my live IG podcast that I just came out of, what I'd said was, well, I don't know anything about this guy, but here's what I do know about football players, uh, though I, I couldn't really probably name five football teams. So it's not my sport and it's not something that I track or have interest in. Uh, it's not that I hate on the sport. It's just not my sport. Uh, I said the my familiarity with football players is when I was with the Skyhawks in 1989 part of the Canadian Parachute Demonstration Team, we jumped into an open-air stadium uh, in Edmonton. It was the Edmonton Eskimos versus the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and uh, I did a hard fish hook to come in through the stadium and basically fly between the uprights and uh, land on on the middle of the field. And as I was gathering my parachute and waving to the crowd and the crowd was going insane it was a packed stadium i could actually feel the crowd in the air before i heard them i could feel the vibration of the crowd going insane for the big canada flag so i'm grabbing my shoot, i'm running off the uh, field and all the football players are running on and i was about 162 pounds at the time and these guys were like twice my size. And these these monsters are running towards me. And all I could think was like, whoa, look at the size of these guys. That This is insane. And as they were running onto the field, they were looking at me and, and saying the same thing. Bro, you're insane. That was so wild. That's crazy. You're a madman, all of that stuff. And that's what I was thinking about them. So as we're high-fiving and, and, and uh, punching each other in the shoulder kind of thing, all I could think of was, Man, this lifestyle is a, a lifestyle that I don't understand at all. They're twice my size, making a million times more than I make uh, for for a salary, and uh, uh, but they're living their best life. They're really getting after it, and so I I, I was curious uh, to learn more about Clint uh, now that he's back yeah. in the I was curious to learn more about how how challenging or 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 uh, how. Um, unusual it was for him to step away from uh, a lifestyle that uh, brings fame and brings eyeballs on you and brings big salary and brings a sense of team community, uh, celebrity, Uh, all of the trappings of uh, what I imagine, because I don't know, I'm just imagining that that lifestyle has a lot of sexiness to it. Uh, To go from there to a kind of basic training, now you're in the sand getting yeah, and gritty. I, I'm just kind of curious uh, to hear more. Yeah. About it.
1: Well, listen. If you're doing it, if you're doing it for kind of the the, the visibility, the fame, the money, the sexiness of it and stuff, then it, that might be a disappointment as you move from one to the other. But I I, I never really was like for, for me that one of the one of the questions I get asked often, um, and it's probably a question you're used to as well, given our backgrounds. Like, hey, what's your favorite gun? And I always slow down and go, Hey, are you asking? This kind of answers a little bit of your question they go i go are you asking what my favorite gun is or what my favorite weapon is and they'll kind of go it's the same thing depending on who i'm talking to and i go no it's not a gun is a tool a weapon is what i use to win my favorite weapon is and always will be the map the the map is my favorite weapon because the map tells me where the bad guy is where what to bring what to leave how to get there how to get home and if we If we kind of look at life like that, one of the things I tell people is like, if we have a map, the worst we'll ever be is wrong, but we won't be lost. And wrong and lost are different animals, right? Like, I love Mm -hmm. the maps behind you right now. And so as I kind of use that to describe my life as a metaphor, I kind of describe my life as having been lived on literally these four maps, the ball field, the battlefield, the boardroom, and the breakfast table, and they're they're both kind of metaphorical as well. Like the ball field describes my season of life as an athlete. You know, growing up here in Texas, playing football in college at the Naval Academy, or played briefly in the NFL. But now it means to me, it's how do I guide and govern this adventure, to take care of myself mentally and physically, so I keep keep performing at a really high level, right? And and the ball battlefield describes my season of life as, as a member of the Special Operations community in the military. And um, but now it just kind of describes this adventure to protect those who have been entrusted me morally, mentally, spiritually, and physically. The boardroom describes a seasonal life where I'm providing for myself and my family and, and my teammates here at work and the breakfast table is the most important, which is being part of a family that loves me and that matters to others. And I feel like all the life is about having exes worth going to and people worth going with. And then you just got to do the work. And so why that transition from the ball field to the battlefield for me was probably more seamless than it might seem. is because I was doing the ball field for the same reasons that I was doing the battlefield. And, you know, what I loved about the game, you know, cause I was never the quarterback or anything like that, man. I, I, you know, I love the violence. I love the camaraderie. I love the brotherhood. I love, I love the opportunity to measure my will against another person for 75 snaps. You know, on Saturday and Sunday, like, hey, we, we, and who's doing it better? Like, I loved all the intangibles. And one of the reasons it was actually pretty easy to leave the NFL and go into the special operations community is – is and not to diminish sports, uh, the NFL. I mean, what a privilege and what an opportunity that was uh, to, to do that. Um, but what I loved was over here times 10, you know, because my route was a little bit different than a lot of people's. Um, so for me the 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 it, it, it was um rather than a reduction of x y and z it was perhaps the most pure form of x y and z and and, and one of the reasons I, you know the high ground has always kind of been where i've always been trying to go right on those maps both literally and figuratively and, and so for me on the ball field, the, the high ground is, you know, what is the peak of that endeavor, you know, playing Division One and, and playing in the NFL. And, and so for me, as I then moved to the military, because I never didn't want to serve. You know, you go to a service academy here in the States and you have an obligation. And I, I, I called it an opportunity. For me, it was more of an opportunity than an obligation. Um, so I, I found myself in the NFL and having been given an opportunity to pursue becoming a member of the Special Operations Committee. And – it just became really clear, right? Like what I knew when I was in the NFL is whatever this is, um, it's going to be more of what I already know. It's going to be, it's, it's going to, it's it's, it's going to teach me more about myself than I already know about myself, right? And and I just kind of got to go where you don't know. And I, what I I knew I could get to the NFL, didn't know how long I could stay, didn't know how good I could be. And I had No idea if I could make it through seal training. And I got to go where I don't know because that's where you're going to learn about yourself. And, and, and so for me, it, it wasn't really, I mean, the money was significantly different. I, mean, I I remember my bride, my bride asked me, she goes, listen, I'm so proud that you want to serve. I'm um, just out of curiosity, they're like how much money we just lose. I was like, well, rookie minimum at the time, I think it was like $400,000 a year or something. I said, we're going to be making 25,250 bucks living in San Diego, but we can shop at the commissary and, and medicals free. So it's kind of the same thing, really. Socks. And, uh, yeah, you know, and, and I get issued stuff, like I don't have to buy clothes, yeah. and um, and it's just kind of been an adventure since then. But, it was, but for me, and it was it was it's interesting to bring that up. I, I remember as a football player watching like the leapfrogs come in for games, and and even now when I work with uh, NFL teams and college teams, one of the things I tell people is like. I think all p- apex predators are, 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 are curious about other apex predators. Like a lion doesn't like listening to another lion because we're insecure. Like whatever dude, but a tiger walks in the room and a lion is like, Ooh, what do y'all on Like, I didn't know you were that big. Like there's an element of curiosity. There's an element of like, I wonder if I can do that. I wonder if I can do that. Cause that one of those common qualities. So, so one of the things to to continue that metaphor, the high ground, 14,000 feet is 14,000 feet. It doesn't matter what continent you're on. Right. But, What it takes to get there and what it takes to stay there, there's a meaningful percentage of it that's really the same whichever map you're on. And so for me, it's that constant pursuit of the high ground on the map that I find myself on that makes life in many ways feel the same as it did in these other seasons of my life. Does that, does that make sense at all? Is oh, that, um? Yeah. A...
0: <clears throat> I was actually going to, I was going to hit uh, Sean back with this, is that you say something very similar, you know, when you, you're pushing the pace or you're, um, you know, the relentless pursuit of excellence. Yeah. Is It's, that that's a high ground, Sean. What do you think? Is that same, basically
2: yeah. the same thing? I mean, Clint, we're, we're, maybe cut from the same cloth. And uh, what you had said is really interesting to me. I'm going to tell a tiny little story to maybe reinforce the point for anyone out there who's listening. The, the You mentioned the leapfrogs. So yeah. when, when I was on the Skyhawks, uh, which is the equivalent of the leapfrogs, right. right. um, we were down in San Diego. Oh, yeah. And we were down there to hook up with the leapfrogs to do a jump. I probably, I
1: probably know some of the guys that you jumped with. Oh, I was hope. It's they, just they 1989, 1989
2: yeah. was 1989 when I, I jumped out. So uh, we're we're on the tarmac. And uh, you know how it goes. Uh, mm-hmm. The first time that you're walking up on a guy and he's walking up on you, you're eyeballing oh, each yeah, other.
1: It's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's, it's that scene quiet. in Devil's Brigade when everyone's was trying to figure out if they hate each other or love each other. As yeah, a default, I, I'm going to hate you until I know weird. I love you.
2: Of course, yeah. So um as as we're all walking up on each other everyone's evaluating each other the hands are being shaken but yeah. everyone's kind of eyeballing each other and, oh, yeah. and we're getting onto the plane and and uh, we're all uh, getting getting our gear all squared away and we're getting up to altitude and and uh, everyone's already kind of established we're all good to go we're all the same vibe we're all cut from the same cloth yeah. we all know deal and uh, so we all got out in the air above San Diego and we're living that large and in charge lifestyle the moment that we all get to the deck and, and we're picking up our shoots and handshaking and high-fiving and and living that awesome lifestyle yeah. uh, there was no difference from man to man yeah. it was everyone saw eye to eye, everyone was peers, everyone got what was happening and I think that's a really important concept uh, when you're talking about transitioning from the NFL into the SEALs, uh, there the, it's kind of cut from the same cloth in yeah, some respect right. in the sort of the, the, this the teamwork, the velocity, the discipline, the focus, the work ethic, and all of these various things from various industries to various industries. There's yeah. a lot of commonality, but from to your point, uh, 14,000 feet as 14,000 feet, wherever yeah. you are, we the, the, the
1: altitude, the altitude imposes commonality, man, the altitude That's imposes, it, it opposes things in common and it forces um, uh, coalition uh, because altitude is agnostic. It doesn't care. You know, 14,000, it doesn't care. It's like, you better be about the same stuff or I'm going to own you. And That's what I love about the water. That's I've right. always said the, 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 you know, the water wilderness and wild things, they put us in our place. They make us feel small, but not insignificant. And they remind us. Right. And so I, I like, for me, the high ground is kind of uh always been where I want to be on the map that I find myself on because I'm going to be surrounded by people that that um, scare me a little bit like if I don't put out I'm going to get left behind and I like those terms uh, I, I kind of have this philosophy kind of chase pace and pull like a lot, a lot of life comes down to who you're chasing and what life's going to look like if you catch them and then keeping pace with people that mean what they say as much as you mean what you say and then you got to pull someone behind you because if you don't you're going to be doing the thing longer than you want to or longer than you're good at it. And both of those are a disservice to the thing, whatever it is. Right. So, so for me, I've, I've always tried to chase people that I don't know if I can catch um, on a daily basis and, and uh, which isn't hard because I'm not a super talented guy. Like it's, it's not hard to find myself around people that I got to work hard to keep up with.
2: Dude, you'll, um, you'll never catch me. Have you seen the size of you? I'm running with fear. I'm not running with hey, motivation. So I, you I, I will say I,
1: I, I've got a pretty good little immediate circle of death, like maybe five, ten. It gets shorter every year. I, less maybe, than I, meters I, I promise you. Like this, turns
2: 50 meters, yeah. you're done.
1: Yeah. yeah, if it turns into cardio, I'll just wait for you to get to the water fountain later. Like it's I've become an ambush predator pretty quickly yeah. if it turns into cardio. Yeah. I'll look around the corners.
0: Yeah. 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 I was I was just thinking that, you know, how do you how do you make sure that you escape from a bear is that you're faster than your friend? Faster than is, the other that's guy. That's the key. Right. Exactly. Uh, now, um, let's get into the topic because we're we're kind of skirting around it right now. But the the original topic that I wanted to do was, you know, putting it on the line. Yeah. <clears throat> and I like what you guys are what you guys are talking about because it goes to that you you know you're talking about after we put it on the line right like living yeah. that uh, living that lifestyle and being at fourteen thousand feet doing all the the uh, seeking that high ground but right at the beginning of it you got to be willing to step up to that line right it, same thing in football you got to be willing every play to put the ball down and step on the line and get ready for another another go round, regardless of what just happened and so i'm wondering what are, what your what your philosophy is on that in terms of putting it on the line how do you well
1: i, I think it becomes like, you become a little bit addicted to it like it's, it's, it really comes back to the first time you did something you need to do and what that generated in you and what it generated in those around you like this, this desire to collectively figure out what else you can do and, and then it just becomes a form of application past that. Like, like I, I have a lot of, you know, we were talking about addiction the other day to a really close friend of mine, and, and he's just won some amazing battles with some dark demons, and he holds himself to a high standard, as we all do. But I told him, I said, man, two things. We're all addicts. Just some of us are fortunate to get addicted to the right stuff early enough. But all of us have the capacity for addiction. It's just what you get addicted to, Right and then you know the guilt is this interesting thing. i said man he's like i feel guilty i'm like well only the good wrestle with guilt so if you wrestle with guilt it means you are foundationally good otherwise you wouldn't have you wouldn't worry about it right so mm. so if you struggle with guilt you kind of got two options like become a dirt bag and not worry about it anymore or, or just wrestle well and recognize that the phenomenon of guilt is restricted to those with a moral compass and high expectations of themselves and others right so as it came down to putting it on the line, I think at a very early age, I just kind of felt like that's where the air I wanted to breathe was. Right. And so it's, so it's this kind of pursuit of the line, figuring out where it is and then figuring out if I'm willing to do what it takes to get there. And then and, and so it kind of comes, comes a little bit of a lifestyle just going like, all right, where's the hardest place to be and who are the hardest people to come up with and go and just take notes and, and like, for me, I have this, I get to go speak to a lot of companies and it's really cool. And one of the things I talk about, I have this kind of keynote called Pursuing Elite. And, and what I tell people I'm Pursuing Elite is, is this guy who's been fortunate to kind of be on the high ground on the ball for the battlefield and, and on the boardroom. And, and, and certainly as a husband and a daddy, I feel like I'm on the high ground every day as far as just the honor it is to, to be the husband of my bride and, a, and, a, and the father of my daughters, right? Um, but what I say is like, hey, everyone's a leader. I maybe have a different view on leadership than other people because, for me, leading is a verb. It's an action. And if you're leading, you're a leader. It doesn't really matter what your rank is. I mean, all rank and role are really describing or how many people are hoping you get it right when it's your turn to wear the weight. Um, but that's why I love that so kind of pure about the ball field. And the battlefield is the meritocracy rules the day. Mm-hmm. Like, hostage rescue kind of only has two rules. There's two rules to hostage rescue. Do opposite of the person in front of you and the person who knows most is in charge. Like if you get those things right, right, it's this fluid crown that moves along the continuum of a mission. So if you're leading, you're a leader. And I define leading is being looked to in a particular moment to make a decision or perform an action based on your unique gifts and abilities. And, and, and so we're all leading. And, and, and what I say is leaders have to be obsessed with outcomes, not because outcomes are fatalistic and not because they're prophetic I mean it's, it's not right but outcomes just tell us what to do next like if you look at life as like this adventure on a map an outcome is an assessment of the last effort and we have time we can look at charts and data and graph and all this other stuff if we have no time we can distill whatever just happened in one of five things no matter what it was and it was either bad it was average it was good it was excellent or it was elite and bad's just I mean no one's watching this live stream and you guys certainly aren't okay with bad outcomes um, average just doesn't have any secrets. Like in all my 49 years, I've never had anybody walk up to someone go, how have you maintained such mediocrity? Like, have you stayed so slow? Like, it's just not a question a lot of people get asked, right? Um, th- there is a secret to being a, 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 an average runner. If you're a big guy, like, you know, like a big guy, average runner from big guys, it's extraordinary. If you're an average runner, you're an elite runner. If you're over 250 pounds, right? And people ask me all the time, like, how'd you make it through training? Like, here's a secret to big man running. The secret to big man running is this: lean forward until you're about to fall over. Then don't. Just for however far you got to go, it's like you don't look cool, but you make the times. It's like a gravity-assisted completion, right? And then you have good. And good's okay if it's not our passion or our profession, but if it's our passion or profession, I'd submit to you that on the continuum of outcomes, the only thing we should be willing to accept from ourselves and others is somewhere between excellent and elite on this continuum of outcomes. So the natural question is, people ask me, is like to you, what is the difference between being excellent and being elite? And, and for me, here's what it is: um, excellence is great, but excellence is quantifiable; it's real, it's measurable. And the lead is this mythical ridge line that's just a little bit further than what you thought you could do until you got to excellent. So excellence is this X on a map, and we ought to get to it, and we ought to celebrate it, and uh, we ought to aspire to it. But once you're on that ridge line, or once you're at that X on the map, you kind of got two choices. You can stay there, you can go back from where you came, or you can look for some miscovered ridge line and go, hey, what's that? Who wants to go there? And I've always told my dogs like, hey, just pick some high hard X and, and go. And you don't even have to be right about that where that is. You just gotta be going and taking notes, right? And, and so for me, elite is this kind of constant gravitational pull to to figure out who I can be around that scares me today that I'm going to have to work hard to keep up with and on these maps that matter most to me. Right. And, and so, you know, putting it on the line is kind of that threshold, right. That threshold between what you know you can do and what you wonder if you can do, that line is kind of the border between those, those two things. And, and so I think putting it on a line is just a way to steward your life. And I think, you know, for me, I lost a lot of people in my life. you I know, mean, lost my father when I was young. And and I think you, you, you kind of come to grips with mortality and, and then you go through this thing where you're reckless and stupid and, but you don't want to be safe. So you find this kind of happy tension between stewarding your life in a way that's honorable, worthy, and purposeful, um, and I, and I think that's kind of where the line is for me, is, is, yeah. is being accountable for my days.
2: I like that. Sean, thoughts? Yeah, something that you'd said um, in respect to putting it on the line and that it is a, and I'm going to paraphrase here, try to crystallize it into, uh, it's a worthy pursuit, putting it on the line. The more yeah. that you do it, the more frequently you do it, the more consistently you do it, the better you get at it. The more used to it you get at it, the more comfortable it feels, et cetera. So as you were kind of stating these things, again, I'm paraphrasing, uh, an image came to mind, and it is this. As kids, we're, we, whether we learn to or whether we're taught to or indoctrinated into it, Christmas time. Kids start looking forward to Christmas time, unwrapping, unwrapping those Christmas presents months in advance, You know, I remember my two young sons, you know, it'd be like October and they'd be kind of already sort of identifying in their young minds what what they hoped they might get at Christmas time. And that was only understood on Christmas Day as they were unwrapping it. They were so excited to see if their hopes and dreams were going to be met, if if the thing that they'd idealized or visualized was the thing that was going to be just under that thin wrapper of paper and so their day could be uh driven by what it it showed up that thing that i've been thinking about for weeks or months is now here i'm unwrapping it and i'm so happy and uh, that's kind of how christmas unfolds for kids As, as they get older and older christmas becomes less and less important uh but what i'd like to establish is that I think everyone should run their day like a Christmas day, like unwrapping the present. I, that's how I try to unwrap my day. I When I wake up and I open my eyes for the first time, I look at it something to unwrap, a new yeah. present to unwrap and, and try to discover what it, it, it provides for me or what I am going to be excited about, that new thing that I've never seen before. So how is it that as kids... We can focus months in advance and be excited about something that we don't understand, but we're really looking forward to. But as adults, we've lost the joy of Christmas. We've lost the joy of the exciting unknown in front of us that we really want to unwrap and play with, for lack of a better term. And now I'm speaking metaphorically. How is it that we lose that joy or that drive or that passion to explore and and play with something as adults? Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: I, I i think it's um i think a lot of that has to do with what you define as a present and what you're willing to accept as a, as a present and as a gift to yourself or from somebody else and you know i think you have no small ambitions when you're a kid right and and when you're a kid everything seems possible and and we, it's either going to be given to you or you can find it. And I think there's some point in time where some people just kind of begin to accept that which is in front of them instead of um, looking beyond it. And, and, and like, that's for me, I, I don't mean to vilify it. I have to work really hard. So one of the things I tell people is like, the difference between being an excellent lead is are you done or you're not done yet? And and I try not to vilify being done because I tell people, it's like, Hey, if you're done, you just got to tell me so I so I can celebrate you and, 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 and honor your effort. But if I'm not done yet and you are, then we are beginning to be incompatible and I just love you too much. And I like you one day. So I don't mean to vilify this concept of being done. If you're done doing something like the worst thing you do is keep doing something after you're done, especially in the profession of arms, like the mission and then next you deserve better than that. James, James says a dual minded man is unstable in all his ways. Right. So I I don't vilify that. Um, But I think a lot of it has to do with what you think you're capable of and what you think, um, we, when you begin to moderate your own expectations about yourself, right? And I, I, I tell my daughters, someone asked me one time, hey, what's the difference between being, you know, is the difference between being excellent and elite talent? I go, no, it's not. If anything, my life's kind of revealed to me that there's a point in time where talent becomes a limitation because your confidence begins to be in your talent vice and your ability to grind. And I tell people, like, I love going against talented people because talented people sometimes don't know how to grind. And that's all I know how to do. Like my gift is not being gifted uh, because the way I say it is like the mountain makes all men and women average if you're aiming high enough. And if you don't have angles and allies on top of your advantages, you're not going to make it because no one's good enough to make it on their own. Right. So, so I've never really started anything without angles and allies and understanding my advantages and, and angles are craftsmanship, you know, reduction of, of, of inefficiencies and frictions and allies are surrounding yourself with people who mean what they say as much as you mean what you say. And advantages are understanding what you are, understanding what you're not, and understanding what the X takes. And like I said, I'm not a very talented person. If you're if you're to aggregate all my gifts and abilities, you'd find me to be a high C or a low B in just about everything except for looks. I'm a good looking guy. Like it is what it is. I mean, I it's just I mean, you are so I, I, I know. I mean, I walked out of the house this morning and I caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror, and I turned and looked at my bride and I said, "Hey, babe." I can turn it down, but I can't turn it off. And she, uh, and she laughed too, which is a little hurtful. I'm not, I'm not a good looking guy. Now, like there's, so my no, gift-
2: there's no mirrors cracking when you walk past.
1: No, no, no. You know, but my gift is—I tell everybody, like I, I loved football way before football loved me, and I had to realize I decided while I was playing, and it wasn't going to be fame, and a byproduct of deciding to say was something I wasn't good at was eventually cultivating some real skill in it because I couldn't place my confidence in size and speed and strength. I had to find these other things. And all of a sudden, when these other things happen and then size and strength comes alongside it, now you're formidable. Now you're a, a formidable deal, right? So I, I, you know, I, I say I, tell my do- I talk to my daughters all the time about this stuff and you know, when I talk about the achieving average. It's, it's trying to, I don't diminish talent, talent's real but it's only one third of the equation. And I tell my girls like, hey, self-selecting out of an adventure is not humility. If anything, it's one of the most arrogant things you can do. Because when you say you can't, this is what you're saying. You're saying, I know, I know everything I need to know about myself and everything I need to know about the thing. It's pretty bold statements. They say, so you know, everything you know about yourself and everything you need to know about the mountain. That's pretty remarkable, right? And so it's not arrogant to say, it's, it's not humble to say I can't, it's, it's arrogant. Right? And that's why I love reading you. I grew up, you know, Lord of the Rings and you know, if middle earth existed, it, I would tell you, and you canvassed all population for who's going to save the world. No one, including the hobbits would have said them. And that was kind of Tolkien's point. Tolkien's point was the littlest among these. Right. So at some point in time, and I think it's more nurture than nature, People yield and settle to X's they know they can get to you, vice ones that scare them. And they kind of forget that the real value is the adventure to, to get to this thing. Like that's, because yeah. there's nothing more anticlimactic than mm-hmm. the moments after you do what you've been trying to do. Right
0: absolutely the uh <clears throat> we got a couple comments here that i want to touch on but they it goes to exactly what you're saying uh paul says the idea of the thing is better than the actual thing the joys and the anticipation and we talk about this all the time and you know the uh understand the journey because the journey is more important than the destination all that stuff but the way you put it just a second ago made me think of standing at the base of a mountain or st- st- standing at a start line and going. Yeah, I know everything here, and then walking away.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you imagine that? I mean, I've what done a done great, done what a great metaphor. I love that you just said it. Can you imagine walking up to the Boston Marathon and go, Nah, I can do it. Like, but that's kind of what you do when you look at someone and say they're better than you, and you look at someone and say I can. Like, effectively, you're doing the same thing. Yeah. Nah, I can do that. I'm not. I don't even any tries. I know I can. Let's go do something else, right? Like, just try. Just try and take notes. You know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of it comes back to um the the fear of losing out so sure. and i mean like fear of losing for sure but you know put putting stuff on the line when you the, the concept of it is you're going to have to sacrifice something right you are you're placing something up on basically a sacrificial sacrificial altar for you to attain something else yeah. and so i was looking I was thinking about it as you were talking in that just the concept of having to sacrifice something in order to achieve another goal i think that's the initial boundary that a lot of people won't cross let alone getting there and actually doing the work it's just like i don't want to lose what i have so i'm just not i mean
1: think about it like what are you actually gaining when you're not willing to lose something what what are you actually gaining what's the actual gain in that right so i mean you run economics on it and stasis is pretty costly right you know morally mentally spiritually physically and and so i mean when you sit back and think, it's like what did i actually gain by not trying and you know it'll reveal to you it's like probably not as much as you thought
2: yeah 100 percent, sean you got any thoughts i do i'm listening to you guys and what i'm hearing is a lot of really really good wisdom really experiential learning where uh, it's been established how effective the process is once you engage in it, and the outcomes are notable. And we'll call them moving someone towards a more elite uh, capability. However, when I was a young buck, when I was a when I was a teenager, no one was passing on any wisdom, and no one actually knew how to do it well. And uh, at least in my life, when I was young. Mm. And so all I had to count on at that time was, as I like to refer to it, stubbornness. I'm a stubborn guy. And so if, if I know I want to do something, usually I don't know how to do it. I just stubborn my way through it. Yeah. yeah. Call it grit, call it focus, call it discipline, call it whatever you want, but I'm just freaking stubborn, man. And once I, once I see something off uh, on the horizon and and i want to be careful with words here chance you were talking about standing at the base of a mountain and thinking eh, you know or or you're standing on the on a start line eh, you know uh-huh. how i view the world is i to bring it back to tolkien i i see it as the misty mountains off in the far distance mm-hmm. i'm standing in the shire all comfortable and uh, having my uh, second breakfast and and so it's my responsibility to l- look look to the horizon, see the misty mountains, and understand that before I even get to the freaking base of the misty mountains, yeah. I've got a whole lot of walking to do. And yeah. I'll engage in that because I'm stubborn. Uh, and and I think that that's important for young, young folks out there right now, or anyone who's really never crushed in life, is if you can adopt a certain amount of stubbornness, the rest takes care of itself. It yeah. doesn't matter... If you if you start heading towards the misty mountains and you get down into a little bit of low ground in some fog and you get disoriented and now you're now you're on a bearing of 240 degrees off to the flank there, going in the completely wrong direction, it doesn't matter. Through stubbornness, you'll recalibrate, find the mountains again, start heading in the right direction. But I think that if you don't if you have no skills, no talent, no nothing. And all you've got is stubbornness. Stubbornness will get you to the finish line. That's
1: funny. I, I, I I've had a variety of different surgeries, and um, you know, I tore my bicep, and my my buddy put it back on as a surgeon. <laughs> and I cut the. He's finding out about this now. So I took the cast off like three days after he and my my bride was like, "You got to call the doctor." It's okay. So I called him. I said, "Hey, man, what happens if my cast falls off?" He's like, "Just fell off." I'm like, "Yep, just fell off, right?" And he kind of exhaled. He's like, "Well, don't get it wet." And I said, "Okay." And the next week, he called me and checked on me. I said, "Well, I'm doing this, this, this." He goes, "You know, Clint, all of all of medical innovation is based on non-compliant patients. So, in in my view, non-compliance is a service to humanity. You know, non-compliance with a norm, aka stubbornness. Um, all of innovation comes down to the, uh, the the stubborn man or the stubborn woman or." Or, or you know the the uncommon, the uncommon man. Yeah, it's a great poem. You know the unreasonable man, the you unreasonable know, woman. All innovation is due to the unreasonable man or woman.
2: I have been accused of being unreasonable, so that's awesome.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Maybe once or twice. <laughs> H-
2: humanity thanks you. Humanity yeah, there thanks. There you
1: me. go. Then Maybe you- not today, but later
0: yeah and now you can look at your wife and be like you're welcome <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i'm doing this for humanity <laughs> yeah. like it was, um, it was
1: seneca or epictetus said if you want to create change be willing to be thought crazy and foolish in your own time and my wife's like i was like listen i'm just doing my part for humanity." epictetus <laughs> talked about this seneca talked about <laughs> this like so a moral <laughs> obligation to figure out if this is real or
0: not yeah that's fantastic um I got a question here from one of the, one of the, uh, viewers here. Daniel says, uh, trial by fire until the right path idea or path slash idea is found and pursued like the trial and trial and error method. Is that a consistent way to do things? Yeah, or? Man,
1: I, I, listen, as, as a default, it's a great plan. Um, I, I think trial by fire, but you gotta take notes. Like, like again, I, I'm a, I'm a words guy like you guys are. And I was telling some, I have this, Kind of uh, so I like verbing things, I like turning things into a verb. The leading, you know, leaders leading is a verb. like so. Championing, when you're championing, that means you're consistently producing championships over and over again. You're not a one hit wonder, right? And as I've kind of observed and, and been around, one of, one of the things I, I tell people is, and there's really four qualities you see when you're around champions the, I mean, it's passion, talent, precision, and endurance. And the higher up you go, the less passion and talent matter. And it's not because they don't matter. It's just everybody's got them. At that level, everybody's got passion. Everybody's got talent. So the difference is in precision and endurance. And I look at precision maybe differently than others. Um, Maybe not. Maybe so. I I don't think precision is being right more. I think precision is being wrong less. Um, That's a more faithful way to articulate it. I mean – being right more, that's an academic statement. Like, I hate it in sports where they go, he gets stronger as the game goes on. She gets stronger as the game goes on. No, no one gets stronger as the game goes on. What you're seeing is someone decline more slowly, right? And so, for me, precision is making less mistakes for longer than your competition. So, if you back that up a little bit, how do you learn what a mistake is? What are you it? And, and, you know, I I, I was telling I was with this NFL coach. He's wonderful. And he yelled, make no mistakes. And I flinched when he said it. And he sees everything. He's very wise. And as we were walking off the field, because uh, I was just visiting with the team, he goes, hey, when I said big no mistakes, you flinched. And I said, yes, sir. He goes, why? I said, well, I'll answer your question, but, but, but it's not apples to apples. I'm not telling you you're wrong. I'm just answering your question. I haven't done what you've done. and I don't do what you do, but I'll answer your question. I said, all these guys are geniuses. Like at that level, everybody's a genius. They're, they're physical geniuses at minimum. More of them are intellectual geniuses than they know because you just gather information, triage, hierarchy, and you perform to so the wire. The hard of is a And the worst thing you could do with genius is tell genius to make no mistakes because genius is what evolves the craft. I said, in the special operations, I'm dealing with geniuses all the time, right? And I used to tell my guys, hey, make new mistakes. And when you say make new mistakes, you're availing yourself to the creativity of genius, right? But you're also commanding it to be a pro. Because in order to make new mistakes, what do you got to know? Everything about your old ones. And so and even the, there's physiology that supports this. It's like the brain lacks the ability to grow based on success. The brain's a calorie carnivore, man. It consumes more calories than anything else. And so it's like a lion. Like lions don't like doing anything until they're being a lion. Like nature teaches a lot. Like great white sharks, shark week's boring until the sharks being a shark. You see this great white shark just lollygagging through the ocean. Then it just becomes this thirty five hundred pound missile. You're like, oh, right. And what apex predators are always doing is they're constantly optimizing because they know two things: they're going to have to burst. They're going to ascend into this perfect version of who they are to take their prey or to defend their pride. So in this constant state of optimization, right? And, and, you know, you only learn that by doing it. And so the brain doesn't like going to work unless it's got fear or failure, fear or failure or pain are the only reasons it causes the brain to work. So adversity and and mistakes, um, that's what makes us grow, Um, you know, both literally and, and metaphorically, like it's the physiological precursor for growth in the brain is struggle it's that's just what happens right so, so yeah i mean try by fire just you know but b- take notes like make new mistakes like there's no reason no reason to relearn that's why i love learning from other. that's why i love reading and and i love talking to guys because i get to learn from them what they learn the hard way which means i get to remember it without having to do it yeah. I, I was, uh, I, you know i love reading one of the guys asked me why i love reading i said man if you and i are fighting and i'm remembering and you're learning I'm going to win because remembering is faster than learning. Yeah. And so the opportunity to learn from others, I mean, that's the, that's the obligation we have. Yeah. I like that.
2: Sean, there's things there, just as you just stated uh, at the back end here, you're talking about uh, uh, reading and learning and uh, versus someone who's figuring it out in the real time. Well, there's a, there is more nuance to that. And I'm sure you, you would have stated it. It's simply future prediction based on your past experiences, creating a model that you can uh, analytically predict the near future. And usually it'll play out uh, as you visualize it based on how much depth of experience you've got in that particular moment. And so there there is uh, a little bit of... uh, future casting as it were depending on how much person has seen of life the other thing that i wanted to state is you'd mentioned um that endurances or or the idea of being able to work is, is less important than some of the things that you'd mentioned because it's natural for humans over a, a period of a timeline to decay in their ability to put out workload. Well, that is true until you become better at understanding how to play that game. And I'll use myself as an example. Um, I, I've, I was a world champion in 24-hour solo mountain bike racing, uh, which requires a lot of work over a period mm-hmm. of a full day. And so that... There's many ways to skin a cat, as they say. And uh, I've raced 30, 24 hour solos and I've done it a bunch of different ways in in a strategic and tactical sense. So one of the strategies that a person can use is negative splits, where you work the you work the field, you put the boots to everyone, um, and then you let them slip away up front and because you've dialed back your pace because yep. now it's a psychological warfare game. And so maybe around hour 12, maybe around hour 16, maybe around hour 18, now I'm going to dial up the pace as a negative split, and I'm going to work harder in those last six hours than I worked in those first six hours. And that's where I'm going to be passing people, breaking their spirit, breaking their will, breaking their minds, and ultimately becoming a world champion uh, in so doing. And so I think that there, there is a variety of different ways that someone can set their pace in a race, in an event, in life, so that it is not a decaying workload. I feel, and I'm 60 this year, I feel that uh, my intellectual pace, my intellectual ability to put out workload is better now than it was when I was 40. Yeah. And it's because I understand the game better and yeah,
1: I, did I, did. I may have misspoken or you may have misheard me when I was talking about endurance. So for me, I'm not talking about the physiological endurance. What I'm saying is if you make less mistakes. The byproduct of that is you have more endurance. So passion, talent, precision, and endurance, the less mistakes you may have, the more endurance. You're contributing to the endurance, endurance tank, the, the more smooth your, your operational processes are. Because every mistake costs energy, right? So if you make mistakes, if you make less mistakes, you conserve more energy that can apply to doing it better for longer, right? I wasn't really talking about the, you know, for for me, I, I endurance. Uh, I, so me, precision and endurance are they're, they're 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 intertwined, like they're dependent on each other. Like the less efficient you are, the less I, endurance I, you I
2: We're on the same sheet of music uh, yeah. for sure. We're we're in total agreement on that. I just. Raise the point for anyone who missed the nuance of the uh, what you were saying and what I heard uh, are the same things, but maybe others didn't hear it that way. So.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm certainly not speaking about any endurance races.
2: Like, well,
0: we've already established you know? that you're the guy hiding <laughs> around the corner, <laughs> the ambush predator, right? Yeah, I'm the bear in the tree. You're like,
1: I didn't know bears could climb that high. It's <laughs> all the
0: the um, so you know let's uh, let's dive into a little bit more into the, the not just the concept of putting it on the line, but um let's talk about the physical nature of it. Of you you know, we talked a little bit of the transition from you know the uh from the football field to the seals, but now you, let's talk about like seals to the boardroom because yeah, that's a pretty I, big I, leap I, in and of itself. Even I'd
1: for, say that was the harder. That was the yeah. harder one. For me the boardroom is 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 is, is, is the, has always been the, has been the most challenging map because it you know, w- the willingness to suffer has always been like one of my strengths, right? And Physically, physical suffering, right? And then the boardroom, your physicality doesn't have as much to do with your success as far as the actual application of your craft, right? Unless you're doing something in that space. And, and the meritocracy exists in far less intensity in the boardroom. And, and I think the horizons that are the byproducts of effort in the boardroom are much the the first time I ever really had to wait longer than, you know, uh, two weeks to get a return on effort was really. I mean, the, the the horizon, the return on effort on the ball field is really quick. You know, the return on effort on the on the battlefield is pretty quick. The return on effort the boardroom is could be years. I've never had to do anything where you you do something on Tuesday and it's going to take you four years to figure out if that actually mattered or not. And and then for me, just candidly, the boardroom has, has been in many ways, less inspirational. And it, 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 it profitability is not purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like saying bullets are per like for me bullets, more bullets, more missions, right? But revenue for the sake of revenue is, does not stir the soul. And, and, and so understanding this map in such a way that you recognize the need for profitability so that then you can pour that into purpose um, the boardroom is just more murky when it comes to, and I find less inspiration in the boardroom, man. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it, there's there's wonderful men and women out here in the boardroom, but accountability is, yeah. You know, there's different rules in the boardroom, and, and and frustrated like you couldn't get away with being a cheater on the ball field and the battlefield. You couldn't get away with being. Uh, you know deceptive and deceitful and, and dishonorable on the ballfield on the battlefield but on the boardroom there's people that make a career out of it you know and and, 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 and so I, I, the boardroom is where I'm at right now and there's plenty of wonderful leaders in the boardroom for sure but it, it, and it's not fighting evil. I mean neither is the ball field but you know when the, when the enemy is not directly confronting you every day, it's it's just a it's just a different. What I came to grips with a long time ago is the boardroom exists to bless the breakfast table. Like for, for me, I don't I don't I don't define myself by who I am in the boardroom. I look at the boardroom as a place that I can cultivate resources, experience, and the ability to to take care of my breakfast table and help others take care of theirs. And and now it has meaning again, right?
0: I like that because the Sean, most miserable I people
1: I know are the wealthiest people I know. <laughs> a lot of them. So I was like, well, it's not that. I mean, read, read Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes will crack the code on that one real quick. Wealthiest man in the world. And Solomon's going like, Yep, nope, it's not that, you
0: know? <laughs> yeah. Sean, what are your thoughts on it?
2: I, I do have some thoughts on the error based on uh, my own experiences. So when I left uh tier one uh, special operations, I went into computer system engineering, went back to school and, got in my own form of a boardroom where I was uh, running a computer school, running several classes as the head instructor, et cetera, and in boardrooms making presentations to executives on how to better improve their yada, yada, yada. And uh, the boardroom is all of the things that you said, pal. It is, uh, it is not an environment that, it, in fact, it's a more hostile environment than maybe yeah. a battlefield in some regards. Uh, but it, it's only that if you don't know how to play the game. And so, and I, I'm not uh, directing this at you, I'm directing this at anyone who's listening. It's only hostile if you don't understand the rule set or, or the, the environmental conditions, as it were, uh, but that takes time. And so initially, the boardroom can be extremely uncomfortable, or at least it was for me, until I figured out how to play the boardroom. And as frustrating as it was initially, what came to realize is that perhaps by working in the boardroom in a way that is creating change in minds Mm -hmm. not in not in processes but in minds i could i could inject uh, some uh thought processes into their brains plant those seeds so that they're now influencing thousands of people
1: that's right that's right when the good guys win when, when 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 the tone is the good guys win then 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 in the boardroom that becomes like like i i i started falling in love with just going against really bad dudes that did the same thing I did. I'm like, hey, man, if I win this contract, we're going to help build this, we're going to help you that. If you win that contract, you're going to go snort a line of blow and grab some hookers. So I have a moral obligation to put you out of business. I'm going to break you. Because if I break you, you're going to go away or you're going to get better. But so for, for me, I just, I, there's plenty of uh, amoral, and I'm not representing myself as a, as a, as this like morally great person, I just, I try to be, I want to be a great husband and daddy. And like, I tell people, I, I want to be the kind of guy my girls want to marry one day and be purposeful, passionate, protective, and a provider. And, you know, if I see a guy who does what I, I, I do and he's not like that, then then he's for the purposes
0: of competition on the boardroom, he's an enemy. That's yeah, game on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like right. that. Um, well, let's, uh, Let's dive into a little bit more than the uh, we got it. Well, we got a few more minutes. Let's talk about the breakfast table because yeah. I think this is this is very important too. And I like the fact that you have these separated into very distinct, uh, separate entities because not that they're separate entities, but they. No, no, uh, no,
1: no. I know what you're uh, saying. Yeah, from a visual perspective, this so we can be all on the same page. At least is how I see it. For for me, the breakfast table is that foundational map that you pull up first. And yeah. The border, and the ball, and a battlefield are layers that you toggle on, mm-hmm. right? But if you open up Google Maps, that for me, that breakfast table is the is the is the opening map, right? And then all these other they're just layers that you put on top of your know, Topography, climate, wh- whatever you want to do. But for me, like that's and it's the one that I just want to get right, right. That for me, it's just the most important map. You know, is mm-hmm. is that breakfast table.
0: So, how do you how do you put it on the line at the breakfast table? Oh, man. So, I'll go back to pursuing elite. One of the things I talk about is the most elite
1: people that have been around on all these maps, ball field, battlefield, board, and breakfast table, um, they have, what well, I call them the pursuit points. They're balanced, they're curious, they're tribal, they're intentional, and they're authentic. And balance is a really, really important thing, but balance is not an equal distribution of effort balance is a hierarchy of priorities and so for me balance is investing in friends and family and faith that can remind you who you are and what you're about when the world tries to make you forget because that's the world's job like the world seeks par like the world you know the world doesn't like uh, exceptional and and so for me you know building a investing in a family and building a family that can remind me who I am when the world tries to make me forget And, and, and there's a process to that Like, you know, everyone, I I, I think the most elite people I've always known is always. I've always found a process or built a process to help them to stay faithful. You got to make a decision. Then you have a design. A design is that process. And discipline is how you remember your decisions and your design when stuff gets hard. And so I I remember I I had this conversation. And uh, let me text the guy real quick. And... uh, (laughs) <laughs> the, uh,
0: yeah, I definitely yeah.
2: gotta say, we're just over 200 episodes in, and no one ever has done that. That's wild. There we go. I was getting us more time, I was there getting was late. more time, <laughs> and
1: uh, and uh, but w- w- like for me, I-, I got this question one time, and this, this really great athlete goes, Clint, he played football, I played tight end. He goes, How can I make sure I'm as good a daddy as I am a tight end? and I I kind of said, well, what are the reps, right? And it's kind of these questions where you're answering real time for yourself. And you're kind of like, huh. and I said, well, in order to execute our craft, we iterated reps over and over again. And we came all together through so perform pressure. So there has to be a supply chain to be an extraordinary father. And once you figure out what those are, then you just do those, just like you're at the gym, just like you're at the range. Like, what are the steps, right? And in the back of my mind, I was like, that sounds pretty good. You got to do that too, Quentin. And, so, you know, we all heard that 10,000 repetition rule and I, I think it's probably true the problem I have with it is we typically apply it to our passions and our professions we don't apply it to our personal lives and so so at least I didn't but my deal is you measure what matters and you count what counts so I'm like okay what does an elite husband do and I wrote these I asked my bride is like hey I don't know I said I, I want to be an elite husband I don't know if I've done 10,000 things that an elite husband does and she said you haven't I'm like hold on I wasn't asking you I was saying perhaps maybe right but but I got a list. I got five hey, what are five things that you think an elite husband does? And I went to my daughter's what are five things. And man, it's 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 right here. It's just it is just like a workout in the gym. You know, I got my I got my reps right here. Like I'm counting. And and so for me, I know what it takes to be an elite husband. I know what it takes to be an elite daddy, I know what it takes to be an elite friend because I've learned it and I've asked people who I admire respect them, and respect and then I just I go to work, you know, like, you know. And not having a father, that was interesting for me, man. Like, I, I would go up to a guy and, like, my wife would be like, you got to work on your approach. Because I'd walk up to a guy and, like, hey, your daughters don't hate you. How do you do that? She's like, not a bad question. But you scared him. I was like, oh, I'm sorry, right? And, and, uh, But the knowledge is out there. Like, no one can tell me they can't find a way to be a better version of themselves. Like, that's kind of a cop out. But for me, you know, there's someone within your world that you aspire to have to be the high ground. The high ground is the way you get to the high ground is always the same, regardless of what map you're on. You find and follow the right people to the right places. You become your version of what you love most about them. This aggregate, this composite.
2: So, with that in mind, let me ask you a direct question. Not to put you on the spot, but I'm curious. Um, who do you aspire to be?
1: Man, that's a that's a long list. Like I don't aspire to be anybody. And I know, ticket, I like a, like a clone but this aggregate like this aggregate on 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 the on the, uh, on the ball field you know like I was I try to be this aggregate of Dick Buckus and Jack Lambert and, and uh, um, you know Jack Ham and you know some of these great football players like I was a composite of those things on the like, man that's why we have senior listed in the military we have senior listed as a young officer I was like man who who, who what officers is that guy? uh listen to and respect because earning the respect of that guy is, is my goal like how do I do that and and the boardroom is the same you find presidents and CEOs and founders of companies that are leading in a way that they don't have to you got to win in a way that you don't have to get the trophy back right and, and there's mm-hmm. plenty of people to find the breakfast table you know I just you know I go to this great church down here in Dallas and I was looking at these men that had relationships with their daughters and the seasons of life that my daughter's in, I was like, "How do you do that?" So
2: the the list is really
1: long. I have, why would I ever deny myself multiple you know, mentors? So it's hard to single
0: it down to like a particular single person.
2: That's a great answer.
0: Yeah. Um, now we're just about uh, rolling over time here, so let's do some final thoughts, and then we'll shut it down for the afternoon. But uh, Clint, before we get there, I just want to say thanks very much, man. This has been a great no, this great is a great conversation. I, I
1: love listening to you guys talk and
0: learning from you well the uh, so let's uh what some final thoughts what on putting it on the line on the different uh, battlefield or the different uh, seasons of your life anything that we've talked about today what do you it's got?
1: worth it uh, i tell people like the word the scars still soars and you know I, 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 I told a friend this year that I said fear the unscarred man because he's either lying to you or he's never dared and both of those are dangerous to be around and so yeah you're gonna get scars but the scars are worth it right just try to get new ones and try to learn from everybody else's, right? And, and um, you know, put it on the line. It's just, if everything's this cost-benefit analysis, I would tell you that having a put-in-on-the-line kind of mentality, and, and whatever your world is, like, you don't, like, this is, I you know, I, I have friends that, you know, have never been on the ball, but they never been on the battlefield, but they have a brilliance, and they have a an ability on the boardroom that I respect and admire. And I know they've suffered and i know they've led well. um, And I watched them endure financial fear in a way that I don't know that I could. So it's not a, it's not a, it's not unique to any of those maps. It's more of just who you are and how you apply it on these maps. Um, But putting on the line is worth it. Yeah, it hurts, but all good things do. I
0: like it.
2: Sean, final thoughts. Mm. Putting it on the line is a phrase that has a sense of a point in time i'm going to put it on the line in that next event i'm going to put it on the line for my daughter i'm going to put it on the line for fill in the blank but i don't look at putting it on the line as that i don't look at it as a finite point in time i look at it as an infinite continuum of time i'm always putting it on the line right now i'm putting it on the line the moment that i finish this i'm gonna continue to put it on the line my life has always been i'll put it on the line and by put it on the line i mean it'll get my best effort but i'll freaking get after it and and own the moment of putting it on the line and however it plays out the outcome good bad and different that's for me to solve and get better at in the future but I just want everyone to understand that putting it on the line, the phrase doesn't mean that you're casting forward into the future 12 years from now where you're yeah. eventually going to put it on the line, put it yeah. on the line every single moment in the now.
0: 100%. Yeah. <clears throat> um, well, you know, that's uh, and both great, great uh, summations of what we were talking about. And really it just comes down to the fact that, you know, it says it right here at the bottom. Every moment, do your best every day. And that's, that's you putting it on the line. So as you learn where your line is, you can build out how you're going to put yourself there and then you can grow as a person that you're meant to be every day. You can do that with us. You're on the collective. See you all tomorrow. Jimo.
1: Jimo. Thank you